Well, this morning we're continuing in the book of Jacob. This morning we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. And the title of this message is, Do Something While You're Waiting. Do something while you're waiting. How many of you find it difficult to wait? Yeah. So listen to these statistics. Each year, we spend around 13 hours on hold. Unless you're in the office of Son of David congregation and you have to talk to Verizon, in which case you can double that number. The average person spends six months of their life waiting in line. Six months waiting in line. And to bring it closer to home, we're all facing, we're all waiting due to the construction downstairs and also the sale of our Norbeck Road property. In addition, we're all hoping for just the right church to rent our building on Sundays so we can have some additional income. So, as we continue our study in the book of Jacob, we're going to learn to do what to do while we're waiting. What to do while we're waiting. And one of the most important lessons we can learn is how to respond correctly when we've been treated wrongly during our time of waiting. Now, last week we looked at how those with money were taking advantage of those living on the margins of life. And what we discovered was this truth. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. But today our text is Jacob 5, 7 to 12. And so as is our custom, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. For behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You may be seated. So let's first pray and then dive into this scripture. Amen? Father, your word, as we say, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Let it also be a conviction to our souls that we might see wonderful things from your word today. Pray in the name of your Son and our salvation, Yeshua. Let us all say together, Amen. This passage, by the way, is, as an observation anyway, is, is linked to verses 1 to 6 by the use of the word therefore. Therefore. 
Which means this section, if you will, provides a game plan when we're in a waiting room because of some kind of injustice. The tone is what I would call brotherly. As Jacob refers to his readers as brothers, three times in verse 7. Three times, rather. Once in verse 7, once in verse 9, and once in verse 10. If you look at it, this is pretty much in contrast to the opening verses of the chapter, which are rather, if you would use these words, I guess, clear-cut, maybe even terse. And the word patient is used three times in verses 7 and 8. And patience is used in verse 10. Anybody here patient? Sometimes? The main focus, I believe, of this section is on the second coming of Messiah. Look at verse 7. Until the coming of the Lord. And look at verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You could actually translate that as the judge is right on the edge, or this is just about to happen. As a matter of fact, it's the next event on God's calendar, you might say. In Romans 13, verse 12, we hear it this way. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. And so those who are the most persecuted obviously look forward to the second coming the most. Incidentally, do you know that there are over 300 references to Messiah's return in the Brit Hadashah? 300 references. That's one out of every 13 verses. I counted them. No, I didn't. I don't want to lie. But anyway, here's the main point for today. When you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do what's right. When you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do what's right. I find this passage separated into three parts. First, exhortations, what we're told to do. The second, examples, what we're called to take and learn and apply to our... I'm sorry, what we're told how to do it by considering three different examples. And then finally, examination. We're called to take what we learn and apply it to our very own lives. So first, exhortations. Exhortations, what to do. Be patient with people. It's hard, isn't it? Be patient with people. Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. By the way, the word patience comes from two words, meaning long-tempered or long-suffering. In other words, it's the idea of not having a short fuse. And the phrase coming of the Lord speaks of his anytime arrival. His anytime arrival. We need to live every day with the realization that Yeshua could come back today. Because he's coming soon. And because of that, I need to be patient with people. Now drop down to verse 8 where Jacob personalizes this call for patience. You also be patient. (laughs) I'm smiling because sometimes that doesn't describe my actions. 
J.B. Lightfoot, if you don't know him, he was an English theologian and bishop in Durham, England in the 1800s. He defines patience as self-restraint, which does not hastily retaliate a wrong. Now, this was pretty counterculture then, and guess what? It's counterculture today. For Greeks and Romans, it was a virtue to retaliate when you were wronged. And Jacob is urging us to refuse to take revenge, even when we can and even when we're able. So here's a question for all of us. Are we patient with people God has put in our life? Psalm 37, 7 says it like this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. We also have to persevere through problems. Look at the second half of verse 8. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. The word establish is the idea of being stable, of standing fast, and it was also used of being equipped. And the same verb is found in Luke 9, 51. Quote, Yeshua set his face to go to Jerusalem. He established his face to go to Jerusalem. So, this person is so certain of the Lord's imminent return that he or she is not wiped out by what's happening in the here and now. Can you say that of yourself? The phrase at hand, I think that it shows that we must persevere because the Lord will not only come soon, He'll come suddenly. I like how the King James Version renders it. Renders it rather. He draweth nigh. The Lord is constantly drawing nearer and nearer. And verse 11 says, We are blessed when we remain steadfast, when we remain able to bear up under our trials. So when you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do what's right. When you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do what's right. But we need some examples. How do I do this? Well, we're not only told what to do while we're waiting in this section of Scripture, being patient with people and persevering through our problems, we're also given some examples as how to do it. And the first one is keep waiting like a farmer. Of course, we all exactly know just how a farmer waits, right? All us city dwellers. Verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, in Israel, especially in biblical times, and even now in, in modern times, as far as agriculture goes, the farmers would plant their seeds in the fall and would wait for the early rains. Then they would wait for the late rains to come in the spring. So a farmer worked, please listen, while he waited. He worked while he waited. But there was nothing he could do to guarantee a harvest. Still, he worked while he waited to wait. That means to look for and to expect. To look for and to expect. Listen, God's purposes are worked out over long periods of time. Have you ever noticed that? No farmer sows his seed and goes out a week later expecting to find a mature crop. And the crop is worth waiting for. 
I love the phrase precious fruit, costly, esteemed, precious fruit. And if you wonder how much longer you can keep waiting, this is what Galatians 6, 9 says about that. Quote, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Psalm 27, 14 puts it this way. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So, we are to keep witnessing, number two, like the prophets. That's the second example. You can see this in verse 10. Quote, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. When we feel like giving up, or when we feel like giving in, we're to look at the prophets who patiently endured and yet never stopped speaking in the name of the Lord. Yeshua tells us we are blessed when we're persecuted. And then he points to the example of those who went before us. Matthew 5, verse 12. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen, the issue is not that the people in Tanakh were so great that we should be like them. Here's the point. Our great God used ordinary people in great ways. He used ordinary people in great ways. Dear ones, it's good to spend more time in the Tanakh, especially according to Romans 15.4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. I think it's very true that we can learn from the mistakes of God's people and also model our lives after those who suffered with patience. Knowing biblical history, my dear brothers and sisters, is essential to our growth, our growth in holiness, our growth in spirit. 1 Corinthians 10.11 puts it this way, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Written down for our instruction. Hebrews 6.12. In addition, it urges us to be more like the prophets. Quote, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, faith and patience, inherit the promises. The scripture is full of admonition for us to be patient. Hebrews 11. Some people call it the hall of faith. It lists individuals who trusted the promises of God while demonstrating patience in the midst of persecution. Patience in the midst of persecution. Listen to Hebrews 11, verses 36 to 38. They were stoned. I'm just waiting for someone to make a joke. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. And think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the one they call the weeping prophet. He preached faithfully for decades, only to have negative responses from everybody he spoke to. He was chased down, he was beaten, 
He was put in stocks. He was thrown into a cistern to die. He spoke out against false prophets. False prophets who told people what they wanted to hear instead of what they needed to learn. But he never lost sight of what God told him to say to people who needed to hear God's word. And yet he wrote these words in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, quote, But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. He had to speak God's word, even in the midst of trial and tribulation. I think it's pretty true that many of us have this mistaken idea, if you will, that if we follow Yeshua, we won't have any problems or deal with any difficulties. Not true. So let's keep waiting like farmers and witnessing like prophets. And three, we need to keep worshiping like Job. Worshiping like Job. Check out the first part of verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. So what does it mean to be steadfast? To be steadfast refers to living under difficulties and not being changed or moved. And interestingly, Jacob is the only New Testament book that explicitly mentions Job. Don't know why, but I find it interesting. By the way, there are three passages in particular that show Job's steadfast commitment to worship, even when he was in the process of being wiped out. First one, Job 1, 20-21. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And Job 19, verse 25. For I know, these are my words, without a shadow of a doubt that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. Amen. Look back again at verse 11. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. God had a purpose in mind for Job all along. Just as He does when you and I go through problems and persecution, and stress, and sickness, and financial troubles, and landlord troubles, and boss troubles, and employee troubles, and employer troubles, and spouse troubles, and you can fill in the blank. So let's keep on keeping on. And keep worshiping like Joseph did. When you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do what's right. Wait and do. Wait and do. Because the Lord is coming. He's coming. 
Be patient with people. Persevere through your problems. Let's keep waiting like a farmer, witnessing like a prophet, and worshiping like Job. That leads us to the third point, a time of examination. What not to do. There's a helpful acronym, if you will, to help alert us to those times when we're especially subject to temptation. HALT. H-A-L-T. HALT. And what I mean by this is we need to be careful when we're H, hungry. A, angry. L, lonely. Or T, tired. Boy, does temptation strike when those things are around. HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so when we go through times of trouble, we need to examine our relationships with others and examine our relationship with God. One, don't battle against other people. Just don't do it. And we're given a warning in the first part of verse 9, quote, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. What does grumble mean? means to murmur and groan. And the tense in the Greek indicates that they were practicing grumbling, griping, and grouching against each other on an ongoing basis. They'd forgotten the fact that they were brothers and sisters. Or maybe that's why they turned on each other. I don't know. Leviticus 19.18, a very important verse in the Tanakh, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, instead of blasting others, Ephesians 4.2 calls us to bear with one another in love. To bear with one another in love. When things aren't going well, when we're being oppressed, when we're being persecuted... Or just plain having a stressful day or a stressful week, it's easy to take it out on those who are closest to us, isn't it? And when we're irritated, we tend to attack other people. And I believe that this saying is very, very, very true. Hurt people hurt people. So let's not be grumpsters. You like that word, grumpsters? It's not in the dictionary yet. Grumpsters who throw each other in the dumpsters. You see, there was a reason why I had that one there. Nothing destroys unity quicker than believers grumbling against one another. Our internal bickering and backbiting and grumbling and groaning very simply knock us off of our mission. Warren Wearsby says it like this. If we start using the sickles on each other, We'll miss the harvest. And I believe this is a challenge. Because most of us are natural born grumblers. And a few of us are year round residents at camp complaining. Many of us whine more than we worship and gripe more than we express gratitude. It needs to stop. It needs to stop. It's incredible how many times. God's people grumble, murmur, complain. I mean, the Jewish people have an ancestral history in it. They were going through the wilderness, complaining all along the way. It's astonishing how quickly their complaining started. After passing through the Red Sea, 
the children of Israel absolutely understandably are excited to finally be free. And so they express their praise in Exodus 15, 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. But almost immediately, we read in, we read, um, in verse 22, their praise turns into protest. Verse 22, we read that Moses led them into the, quote, desert of Shur. By the way, Shur in Hebrew means a wall. And that's exactly how they felt. They had run into a wall of despair instead of run through a window of blessing. After wandering in the wilderness for three days and having no water to drink, what did they do? They turn on Moses at a place called Marah, which means bitterness in Hebrew. And after receiving the water, this is what we read in Numbers 14.2, that the, quote, whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We get a sense of what God thinks about grumbling, by the way, in Numbers 14.27, quote, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And in Numbers 17.5, God says he will rid, them, he rid himself of, quote, this constant grumbling. This constant grumbling. Israel stumbling led to grumbling, which resulted in God's judgment. Because as a result of their grumbling and mumbling and stumbling, thousands of people paid for their protest with their very lives. Now the second half of Jacob, chapter 5, verse 9, gives us an incentive to stop grumbling and complaining and groaning. Quote, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's kind of like the incentive to not speed when you see the police car in your rearview mirror. Jacob catches our attention by using behold, which can be translated as, hey, listen up. Notice that he calls Yeshua the judge. He's not merely, by the way, a judge. He is the judge. His words exclude anyone else. And the phrase standing at the door means he's in the act of entering. Yeshua used a similar picture, by the way, Matthew 24, verse 33, quote, So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Jacob is referring to a judgment hall here. A judgment hall that the judge would come through to hear cases. And when tempted to grumble, or when tempted to groan, against a brother or sister in the Lord, don't forget that Judge Yeshua is about to push open the doors to begin court. Galatians 5.26 states that if you do a lot of complaining, it could be because you're conceited. Quote, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And Galatians 5.15 is even more graphic. If you keep up Keep on biting and devouring each other. Watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. Chuck Swindoll draws four lessons from this passage. One, don't focus on the situation or you'll become angry. Don't focus on yourself or you'll become filled with self-pity. Don't focus on someone to blame or you'll be 
begin complaining. Don't focus on the present or you'll miss the point of what God is wishing to achieve in your life. Let me repeat those four. Don't focus on the situation or you'll become angry. Don't focus on yourself or you'll become filled with self-pity. Don't focus on someone to blame or you'll begin complaining. Don't focus on the present situation or you'll miss the point of what God is wishing to achieve in your life. So when you're overwhelmed by problems, don't take it out on the people around you. When you're overwhelmed by problems, don't take it out on the people around you. And next, we're challenged to not turn on God either when trials come. Don't bail on God. When it's hard to count on people and when our problems are raining down upon us, we can always count on the character of God, can't we? The end of verse 11 says this, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God, dear ones, is accomplishing His purposes even while we're struggling with people and swimming in our own problems. D.A. Carson writes it like this, Sometimes God expresses His love by delay, and by this means He teaches us such things as perseverance and faithfulness. Perseverance and faithfulness. Compassionate. It literally means abounding in bowels of compassion. The Lord is full of compassion, or extremely compassionate. He's full of compassion and He moves His people to acts of compassion as well. Dear ones, we can count on God's compassion and we can count on God's mercy. One of my favorite verses in the entire Brit Hadashah is found in John 5, 17. I like the way it's written in the Living Trans, New Living Translation, even though I don't prefer that translation as a whole. Quote, My Father is always working, and so am I. My Father is always working, and so am I. I come back to this when I don't see God's working in my life or in the life of my family. Listen, God is always at work, and sometimes I get to see it. John Piper is fond of saying this, quote, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. <laughs> Psalm 69, 16, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. But sadly, though, the compassion and mercy of God are the very qualities we begin to question when we go through difficult times. Satan wasted no time trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness towards them. And he follows the same strategy today. Whatever you're struggling with right now, remember this. The Lord is full of compassion. The Lord is full of compassion. And he has a massive amount of mercy for us today. His mercies are new every morning. The psalmist declares this, Psalm 119.68, You are good and you do good. I wonder if some of us bail on God simply because we think too much of ourselves and too little of Him. 
We mistakenly think that God owes us something good because we somehow deserve it. Well, you know what that attitude can lead to? Swearing, making false promises. By the way, that's according to verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. While many have died as faithful martyrs, there have always been believers who made empty oaths in order to avoid discomfort or even death. Peter did this, by the way, when challenged to identify himself as a follower of Messiah. Matthew 26, verse 72, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Oh, and there were others. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They made outward promises they had no intention of keeping in order to keep looking good before the congregation. Acts 5, verses 1 to 11. You can read it for yourself. That didn't turn out so well for him, did it? So here's a summary of where we've been this Shabbat morning. When you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do right. When you've been wronged, wait on the Lord's return and do right. And the two exhortations tell us what to do. Be patient with people and persevere through our problems. And the examples, well, they show us how to do it. Keep waiting like a farmer. Keep witnessing like a prophet. And keep worshiping like Job. And the self-examination, well, it tells us what not to do. Don't battle against each other and don't bail on God. It's interesting as I think about our remodeling process downstairs. We've been asking God to grow our faith, to grow our family, to grow our future. And I think of the demolition that will take place. And I'm reminded that we also need to ask God to tear us down before He can build us back up. The work is messy. Go downstairs and wait till tomorrow, right? Parts of our building are getting shored up. Electrical and plumbing systems are being reworked. This work is not always visible, but it's crucial. The work in our life is not always visible, but it's crucial. Sometimes it's messy, but if it's God's work, it is always necessary. Years ago, Ruth Bell Graham, she was the wife of Billy Graham, saw a sign by the road, and this is what the sign said. End of construction, thank you for your patience. End of construction, thank you for your patience. The story goes that she smiled and remarked that she wanted those words on her gravestone. And after her death in 2007, her desire was carried out. Her grave marker bears the Chinese character for righteousness, by the way, she was born in China, followed by those words that made her smile. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. Listen, we are all under construction. Say it with me. I am under construction. And I've all liked, always liked this phrase, Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Are you frustrated with your own progress? Have you become impatient? 
Do you feel like you've hit a wall? It could be because you're not saved yet. Perhaps you've been trying to fix yourself and you're discouraged because it hasn't worked. There's a simple solution to that. Confess that Yeshua died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And if there's anyone here this morning who has not done that, I'll be here praying with you if you want to. Do you feel stopped and you're not sure where to turn? Do you feel like your luck's run out? It's time to confess that Yeshua Mashiach is the only way. Listen, religion says attain. The gospel says obtain. Religion says try. The gospel says trust. And we may wonder if God's renovation in our work, in our lives rather, will ever be completed. I mean, it's hard to wait, isn't it? But listen to Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Yeshua HaMashiach. This is another reference, isn't it, to the return of the Messiah. Dear ones, God is doing his good work while we are still in the waiting room. There's a song that I hear a lot when I go to churches and speak. It's called, I'm Waiting. And these are the words. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on you, Lord. And I am hopeful, I'm waiting on you, Lord. Though it is painful, but patiently I will wait. While I'm waiting, I will serve you. While I'm waiting, I will worship. While I'm waiting, I will serve you. And while I'm waiting, I will worship. And so as we read in the book of Jude, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen.